If you have your Bible, if you could open up to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. We're talking about friendship. We started a series last week called Friend Request, and uh, we're into part two of that this week. Um, we're talking about friendship. We, we're talking about it in this context that, um, that we often talk to our teenagers and our youth about that. It's called, we talk about peer pressure. We, we talk to our, our youth and we, we warn them about the kind of friends that they're making. Sometimes you might have had a conversation with your teen and you would have said to them, I don't actually like the friends that you have. Um, maybe your parents told you that thing. I don't like the friends you have. Maybe your spouse has told you, I don't like the friends that you have. If you've told that to your teenager, let me tell you how your teen understands or hears the comment, I don't like your friends. When you say that to a teenager, the teenager hears, I don't like you. Because the identity for a young person, a teenager's identity is wrapped up in who their friends are. So when you say and make a comment about their friends, they're hearing you make a comment about them personally. That's not the sermon. That's separate. But that's just for you. If you've got teenagers, know that one. Last week, we spoke about biblical friendship, and we asked the question, what does biblical friendship look like? And we unpacked Um, that biblical friendship is love. It's about unconditional love. But we don't want to get all wishy-washy about this thing and like, oh, it's unconditional love. So so let's just walk out here. You know, you've said the unconditional love thing. Everybody knows God is love. Friends are love. Woohoo, let's go and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, outside underneath the tent. This is what biblical love is, and this is what unconditional love is. It is a rugged commitment to someone. And so I want you to think about this in the context of friendship, because in the context of friendship, it's aimed at someone. See, many of us, we develop friends over the years, but we develop friends incidentally or unintentionally or circumstantially, we develop friends. But what I'm really hoping we will get today is how intentional we have to be about the friends who we have. And how intentional you have to be if you want to grow in Christ and know Christ, how you need to be intentional about the friends that you have around you in your circle. So number one, it's love, unconditional love is this, a rugged commitment to someone. Secondly, it conveys a rugged commitment to presence. This is, I'm committed to being with them. So I'm committed to someone and I'm committed to being with someone. If you say, hey, so-and-so is my friend, but you're never with them, chances are they're not really your friend. All right? Oh, yeah, somebody lives overseas, well, I would say, and you live over here. Well, do you communicate? I would kind of, that's being with someone. It's how, how often do we speak? How often do we mail? How, you know? Otherwise, they're not really your friend. They're on the outer circle. Third one, it conveys a rugged commitment to advocacy. And this is to be for them. So I love someone. I want to be with them, and I want to be for them. I've got your back as your friend. I'm, I'm there for you. And the last one is it conveys a rugged commitment to direction. Unconditional love is not just I love you, wanting the very best for you, even if I feel like I get nothing back in return. That's unconditional love. But it doesn't just stay there. It says, I want you to be the best you. That's unconditional love. And so relationship, friendship, Christian friendship, biblical friendship is I'm committed to someone. I'm committed to be with someone. I'm committed to be for someone, and I'm committed to grow with someone. We're moving in a direction together. Now, on the topic of friendship, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
And if you've uh, opened up that uh, Chinese fortune cookie and pulled out a message there, it might say something like, you are who your friends are. Or as uh, uh, Vladimir Lenin said, if you show me who your friends are, I will show you who you are. See, here's the thing, is we tell our youth and we tell our children, be careful about the company you keep. But it seems that when we finish school, we forget about that as adults. We forget about how important the friends are that are surrounding us. And so there's this secret formula, and the secret formula is that you are the average of the five closest people who you hang out with. Your five closest friends, that's the average of who you are. I was reading a magazine a couple of months back. It, I think it was in March. It was the Entrepreneur magazine. And uh, there, were, there was an article about how wealthy people um, gain more wealth. Um, and and one, one of the points was this, is that wealthy people hang out with more wealthy people. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So all I need to do is find a whole lot of rich people, hang around them, and then I become wealthy. Like, how does that happen? Do they give me money? No, you see, what happens is this. The more you hang out with people who are financially wiser than you, the more that rubs off on you. The more you discover the right bank to bank with, the right broker to speak to, the right insurance policies to invest in, the right way to choose a business to buy, the right way to spend your money, the right way to buy a house or sell a house, or who to sell to and how to sell to, you learn all those things from just being with those people. You don't go and do a course on it. Just being with those people helps you. So Bill Hubbles about relationships says, relationships like every other area of life require evaluation, pruning, and strengthening. I want you to think about that. Relationships like every other area of life require evaluation. Let me think about my relationships. Let me think about the people I'm with and the effect they have on me. And which of those relationships require pruning? In other words, I maybe need to pull back out of that relationship. And which of those relationships require strengthening? This is a good relationship. I need to be more with that person. So we want to talk today about this friendship formula. We want to unpack this friendship formula. The business guru, Jim Rohn, he was the one who said, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. Now, as I unpack this over here, I would love to be able to tell you that what's going to come next is all my own, but it isn't, okay? What comes next is what I've um, found from a book that Bill Hubbles wrote called Simplify, 10 Practices to Unclutter Your Soul, and I want to encourage you, if you can get this book, get this book and read this book. It will help you to live a simple life and unclutter your soul because we live lives that are just way too busy, and we look back after 30 years and we go, crumbs, I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have. Well, this helps you to go, I'm going to do it. And in one of these parts, he talks about moving from isolation and moving into companionship, moving into friendship. And he talks about two things over here. One is he talks about warning signs to look out for. If I'm going to build relationships with people, here are some warning signs I need to look out for. And then on the other side, these are some things I must look for that I can gain from somebody. So one is watch out for this. The other one is this is what you want. And in watch out for this, he goes to Proverbs and Proverbs chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 6, while it is going to be on the board behind me, it's good to get in the habit of getting into your Bibles. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Proverbs chapter 6, right in the middle of the Bible, Psalms, just go forward a little bit more. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through to 19. Here we go. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Okay, try count them up as we go through them over here. Underline them on the board. Haughty eyes. I don't know, when last did you use the word haughty? Anybody use it this week? Haughty, not naughty, haughty. Anyone use the word haughty? I just have to confess something to you. I had no clue what the word haughty means. I had to look it up in a dictionary this morning to try and see what haughty means. It's an it's a arrogant kind of prideful spirit. That's haughty, okay? So bonus marks for you to use the word haughty in a Facebook post this next week. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Let me read them again. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. These are the things that God hates and are an abomination to him. And so if we're going to choose relationships, this gives us some warning signs of what we should be careful about when we're choosing friendships. Number one, do they display pride? Do, do they, when you're around them, do people feel that they are better than others? And sometimes pride isn't as obvious Sometimes it just happens in the conversation where, you know, we think we're better than everyone else because we're professionals. We have a university degree. Uh, or we're actually better than everyone else because we're entrepreneurs and we own our own businesses. Uh, or we're better than everyone else because we drive German cars or Korean cars or Japanese cars. We're better than everyone else. We're better than everyone else because we live in this suburb and other people live in that suburb. We're better than everyone else because our cell phone is made by a fruit company. We're better than everyone else. And, and people might not say, I'm better than everyone else. But just in the way they carry themselves, you can see that they feel that they are better than everyone else. And you know what happens as you spend time with those people? It rubs off on you. It just, it just rubs off on you. There's this proverb, I, I forget where it comes from. I, I think that it's a, it's a Chinese proverb. And the Chinese proverb says this, if you lie down with a mongrel dog, or a, a street dog, a stray dog. If you lie down with a street dog, it doesn't matter how long you lie down with the dog for, the fleas jump onto you and they go with you wherever you go. When you hang out with the wrong people, it doesn't matter how long you hang out with them for, sooner or later, you're going to start to see the world through those lenses. And so how's pride? This is what James says about pride. 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud. So you think that you're going to be building a business and so you want to hang out with these people because they have lots of good things to say about business. Well, I want you to know that God himself is opposing you if you're proud. I mean, that's, that's quite serious if you think about it. God is opposing you, not the economy, not the government, not Moody's. God is opposing you because you are proud or pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 16 says, Romans 12 says it like this. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But just, just remember who you are. You're a human being. You have had God's grace shown to you. You deserve nothing. Everything you have that is good comes from God. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
Friends, we are to be humble followers of Christ. And if we're going to be humble followers of Christ, if you're going to be a Christ follower, it means you've got to follow Christ everywhere he went, and that was following Christ into humility. And if I'm going to follow Christ into humility, it means the people that I have around me need to be people who are not full of pride. Secondly, are they dishonest? Are they dishonest? Do they have a lying tongue? That's the question. You see, we're supposed to be truth tellers. But the world that we live in has made telling the truth so difficult. This is what I mean. We all know what a lie is. We all know that. You go and you order some food and you say, can I please have like a burger and chips? And the person from behind the counter pulls out a burger and chips. And the person in front of the counter says, sorry, but we have no burgers or chips today. And you're like, but there's the burger and chips. Yes, I know, but we don't have any left. Next comes out, burger and chips. You go, but, but I'm ordering burger and chips. There's some burger and chips coming out right there. I'm sorry, we don't have burger and chips. You know it's a lie. It's a blatant lie. You know that that's a lie. But it's not always that simple. You see, sometimes you can hang out with people who just don't tell all the truth. You see that? That's a lie too. Or sometimes we exaggerate or they might exaggerate and make the story a little bit more interesting than what it actually was. And we start doing the same thing. When we start telling stories, we start doing the same thing. Or their fog index is huge. Do you know what a fog index is? See, here's a fog index. I made it up. Fog index. This is a, it's, it's the index to which you can create fog around stories that you tell. Okay? If you have a high fog index, you're a liar. If you have a low fog index, you're probably telling the truth. Okay? I, when I was in seminary, we had to fill in an evaluation form saying what we did in the afternoons, our ministry time that we did. So we'd finish seminary, we'd get home at three o'clock, and then we had to write down everything that we did, all the ministry, visiting people, pastoring people, counseling people, running Bible studies, preparing sermons, all that stuff had to be written down. And I remember coming back into the class and listening to guys reporting back, and, and I would be like, oh, you know, I met with two people, you know, on average two people each day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I met with like 10 people. And then the other guys, they met with like 30 people. I'm like, how did you do that? How do you meet with so many people? And then they would talk and they'd go, well, yeah, on that day I connected with this person and I visited this person and, you know, I phoned that person and I found out how they were. And, you know, while I was visiting with that person, I prayed with this person and then I did this. Well, let me tell you how they measured it because this is what I found out afterwards. Connecting with somebody meant while they were at the shop buying their bread and milk, the person in the queue behind them happened to come from the church. And they were like, hey, how are you doing? No, I'm fine, thanks. Connected with. That's what it meant. Somebody phoned them to ask them a question. Hey, yo, how's it? Yes, church starts at 9 o'clock, still starts at 9 o'clock. You guys okay as a family? Yes, we are good. Cool, good, God bless. Goodbye. Phone that person. That's a fog index. You see, it's true they did connect with the person. It's true they did phone the person. But the fog index is making it what it's not. They're dishonest. So how many of your friends that you have are dishonest? Because sooner or later... If they keep quiet when they should be talking up or if they exaggerate the story, sooner or later you will be doing the same thing. We're supposed to be truth tellers. Are they mean-spirited? Mean-spirited means this. In hands that shed innocent blood, are they people who use their power to exploit others? Sometimes are they violent people? All right? Um, and, and, and this one of it doesn't mean 
You know, does a person walk around with a cricket bat beating up people all day long? Well, I think you shouldn't be friends with that person. But sometimes it's using your power to exploit others. Using your power to exploit those who work for you. Using your power to financially exploit other businesses. How do you use your power? If you're using your power, if, if people are using their power to exploit others, you will start doing that as well if you spend time with them. So be careful who you call to be your friends. The Bible says that we are supposed to be pursuers of gentleness, friends. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you've heard that thing? Gentle Jesus, it's not in the Bible. But it speaks of a Savior who is gentle. It speaks of a Savior who is gentle. So gentle that on the night he was betrayed, when the soldiers came to arrest him, and one of them pulls out a sword and cuts... Uh, sorry, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. Jesus says to his followers, this is not what we're doing here. Picks up the ear and puts it back on the guy's head. He's a gentle savior. We are called to be gentle as well, which means you might have to not drive down that road anymore that makes you want to be violent. The friends that you spend time with, are they violent? Are they, do they misuse their power? Four and five go together. Do they look for trouble? You know, there's some people that just look for trouble all the time. Yeah, you don't want to hang out with those people. Because if you look for trouble, eventually trouble finds you. And these are people who divide, devise wicked plans all the time. And, and they, they justify their moral failures. So instead of following the line, the, as close as they get to the line, sometimes they get to that moral line, they cross the line of, of sin and they're justifying it all the time. Everybody else is doing it, so why can't I? And it's okay, you should go fill up at that filling station. There's a guy there, and the guy's got a, he's got a white beard, he's a really old guy, and if you go there and fill up at that filling station, you slip him a hundred bucks and he fills up your tank. What? I mean, everybody does it, it's okay, don't worry, everybody does No, it's not okay. It's not okay, friends. If, we, if, we, if we're meant to be Christians, that's not okay. So the friends that you spend time with, if they're saying it's okay, don't do that. Don't be friends with people like that because it's going to rub off on you. They have feet that run into evil and justify their legal or moral shortcuts that they take. Do they spread gossip? Do they spread gossip and do they bear false witness? We're supposed to be confidence keepers and truth tellers. But sometimes you can be with people who enjoy sharing these stories. And sometimes the stories are true and sometimes they're not true. And sometimes people are sharing stories knowing they're false. And other times people are sharing stories thinking they're true. Friends, the world will find out. Let it not be from our lips. Right? As believers, let's not let people find out these things from our lips. Let them find it out from somebody else. The Bible says the truth is going to come out anyway. Whatever's done in darkness will come out in the light. It doesn't have to come from us. We have to watch how we speak. Hubble said, said this. He said, these are people who eagerly spread false information for the sheer delight of tearing down others and people who betray confidence. This is what these people are. Friends, we've got to watch this one. We've got to be confidence keepers and we've got to be people who are truth tellers. Number seven, are they divisive people? People who stir up conflict. A 
dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. These are people who are polarizers or bomb throwers, okay? A divisive person is not necessarily a person who comes into the room and says, hey, I don't think we should follow that person. I don't think we should do this and then share something divisive. Sometimes they come into the conversation and they just drop a controversial bomb and step back to watch what's going to happen. Sometimes people do this through their sarcasm or they, they do this through just coarse joking and they just do it. And what happens is it divides people. God's word is so anti this that in Titus, when God speaks to the church, he says this, if there's a divisive person in the church, you warn them once, you warn them again, and then you're like, goodbye. You don't have that person there anymore. Unlike all other sin, if you do it, you warn them once. If they do it again, you warn them a second time. If they do it again, you warn them a third time. Go for grace. On this one, it's warn one, two, you get out. That's it. See, this one over here can happen so, so subtly. It's kind of like, it would be like this. Imagine you have a, you know, you, you, you have two friends, okay? And one, your one friend, he's, uh, he's so, so, so much of an EFF supporter, he wears a red overall all day long. And the other one is so much of a Freedom Front supporter that he's wearing khakis and a long pants with a, I mean, long socks with a comb, all right? If you've been offended for either of those two, I'm sorry I spoke about the party that you voted for. Here we go. So I, let's say I have these two friends. I bring them into a room together, and this is what a divisive person does. A unifier or a bridge builder brings those two people into the room and discovers what holds us together as human beings and as South Africans who are so stoked that the Springboks won yesterday. That's what a bridge builder does. The divisive person goes, oh, did you see that, uh, that news, um, pre that press conference last week with Malema? Did you see what he said? So true, but what an idiot. And then he steps back. And so this guy's going true. This guy's going idiot. And he just watches these two people fighting who's supposed to be his friends. But he's dividing. Friends, we're supposed to be bridge builders. We're supposed to be the ones who talk about what good there is. We're supposed to be peddlers of good news, not bad news. And we should be people who are bridge builders. Yeah, they are. Display pride. Are they dishonest? Are they mean-spirited? Do they look for trouble? Do they spread gossip and slander? Are they divisive? This is what you look for if you want friends. Paul gives us a great list. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. He says, this is what we should be displaying in our lives. And friends, if we should be displaying it in our lives, I want to encourage you to find friends who display this in their lives because if you are around people who display this in their lives, it'll rub off on you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you struggling with patience? Go find someone who's patient and hang around them. You struggling with your faith? Go find someone who's really strong in their faith and hang around them. Are you struggling with gentleness? You just got full of anger all the time? Go find someone who's got self-control tapped and they are gentle. And let that person become your friend. And if you do, notice what he says at the end, if we walk by the Spirit, let us also... If we walk by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So don't, in other words, don't just say, I'll walk by the Spirit. Do it. Practically do it. So I close out. 
every now and again, our staff are incredibly blessed. At the end of a sabbatical season, this church gives our, our staff an opportunity to go to a conference in Chicago where some of the best Christian leaders share about self-leadership and pastoral leadership for your personal pastoral leadership. One of those that we had a chance to listen to was Gordon MacDonald. Gordon MacDonald wrote this book, A Resilient Life, and in this book, A Resilient Life, he talks about friendships and important friendships that we should be having. He speaks about the kind of friends that you should be looking for. So I've showed you the, what you should watch out for. I've showed you what you should go for. But there are kinds of friends we should be having in our lives, and everybody needs these kinds of friends. He shared it with us at the conference. I didn't read it in the book, but it is in the book. Right? I heard it, and I think I work better when I hear stuff than reading. So these are some important friendships that we need. One, a friend who stretches our mind. Do you have friends who stretch your thinking? Are you just stuck in the same intellectual rhythm that you've been in since the day you graduated from university or finished school? Or, but how are you stretching your thinking? Do you have friends who stretch your thinking? Do you have a friend who listens to you and encourages your dreams like Joseph? He comes to the breakfast table and he says, Hey, bros. And his brothers go, Yep, the little boy again. You're still in your gown. And he's like, hey, guess what, guys? I had a dream last night. Yeah. I dreamt that all the stars bowed down to me and the sun and the moon also. And they look around. They go, he's talking about mom and dad and us. The next day he goes, hey, guys, I had another dream last night. And they're going, yeah. He says, uh, yeah, this time I dreamt we were out farming. And, uh, and then um, actually there were 12 sheaves and they all bowed down to mine. They're going, this boy's saying, we're going to bow down to him? Let's kill him. Pass me the tomato sauce. So they take him out. They're going to kill him. And the older brother Reuben goes, no, 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 kill them. Let's rather sell him. Let's make some money off this one over here. And they sell him into slavery. Great for stepping up to the plate, Reuben. Where you should have been is, you should have been at the breakfast table when Joseph spoke the first time. And you should have said, Joe, not at the table, boy. No, no. Before lunch, let you and me talk. Tell me about your dream. Tell me what you think the moon and the sun are. Tell me what you think these sheaves are. Tell me about your dreams. You want to be a leader one day? You dream of us bowing down to you? How do you think that's going to play out? What do you think that's going to look like? Boy, if you want to learn how to be a leader, there's some things you need to do in your life first. You can see that you're communicating badly. Your brothers want to kill you, and you've only shared two visions. As a leader, you're going to share many visions. Where was the one who was going to sit with his dreams and hold them in his hands? Who holds your dreams in their hands tenderly and encourages you to dream big dreams? Who protects you? Do you have a friend who will protect you? A friend who stands up by you that you know if that person hears something about me, they've got my back. Who can I cry with? you have a friend that you can cry with? You know, you can't cry with all of your friends. There are some friends you can cry with and some friends you can't cry with. Some friends, when you cry with them, they're like, hey, stop being a baby, see? All right, must I get you the toilet paper? Must I phone a ambulance? Yeah. You can't cry with everybody. Do you have a friend that you can cry with? Who rebukes you? Who's quick to point out your faults? I have a friend quick to point out my faults. One time I preached a sermon, leaving seminary. It was a New Year's Day sermon at my church. Um, church was packed, all these visitors, visiting pastors. I've just graduated. I'm so pumped to preach. So they all fall in awe at the wonder of the message I've just preached. And I preach. 
I preached the longest sermon I've ever preached in my life. I know you're like, ah, oh, really? How long was that? Okay, it was way over an hour. And uh, at the end of the sermon, this guy walked up. He's a friend of ours. He married Anthea and I. He was Anthea's youth pastor. He's still the guy who I can cry with. And uh, he's still the guy who will rebuke me and encourage me. Still, still the guy. And uh, he comes up to me and I'm expecting Matt. You should write a book about that. You, you, you are awesome. In fact, I can see his mouth going, and he comes up to me and goes, Matt, that sermon was way too long. I could have preached a three-part series on that sermon alone. And I'm going, well, welcome to you too. <laughs> but it was true. It was way too long. And you want to know why we preach series at Sterling now? Because I prepare one sermon and go, this is way too long. We need to do a series. And we do a series on it. It's helped me. This is the guy. Who do I play with? Do you have people you can play with? I mean people you can just be silly with and play with. I'm not talking about people you've got to be mature and play with, you know? Because as we get older, we play maturely, don't we? Mm. I'm talking about the guys in your life, if you're a guy, who you can just be silly with, who laugh at you. And when you tell a joke and it didn't go down well, they laugh anyway, you know? Um, and when you do something that maybe it's not appropriate, they're like, who cares? Let's just have fun anyway. I have a friend like that. His name's Steve Wood. Some of you will know him. When we're together, life is hysterical. We're like a bunch of teenage girls when we're together. <laughs> it says we laugh hysterically and have fun about everything. Life is good. Who seeks God with you? Do you have someone in your life who you can seek God with? Who's the one who helps you to push it further? Who's the one who talks to you about God or you have God conversations with? And last one, who is the one who coaches you? See, the coach is the one who knows better. The coach is the one who knows how it can be done better. The coach is the one who knows your full potential and wants to help you get there. Your coach is the one who sits with you when you're running 115 seconds and says, I'm with you until you do this in 10. And they're not always pointing out your faults. They're telling you what you can change to make it better. Who's coaching you? Friends, there's some friends that we all need to look out for. There's some friends that we need to look for. And they're types of friends that we all need in our lives. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about toxic friends. We're going to talk about how to, where some relationships need to be reversed out of. We need to pull out of that stuff. But we're going to ask some of those questions. And how do we do that as believers? What does that look like? What does it look like to serve friendships but not be burnt and abused in the process? What does that look like? But this morning as we wrap up, I want us to think specifically around this. What kind of a friend am I and what kind of friends am I gathering? If my friends, my top five that I hang out with, if they had to describe me, would they describe those seven things mentioned at the beginning? Or would they describe love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Would they describe that? What kind of friend am I and what kind of friends am I hanging around? Jesus said this, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you friends. If you've committed your life to Christ, Jesus said, I call you friend. And we're going to bow our heads just now and we're just going to pause for a moment. 
And then we're going to end off with this communion meal together. And we're going to remember the greatest friend that you could ever have. The one who, when you are with him, he makes you to be a better person. The one who says, I will be with you even if you feel like you can't be with me. The one who said, I will be for you even if you feel like you can't be for me. The one who said, I'm committed to finish what I started in you even if you feel like you can't finish it. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Now let's bow our heads and let's just take a moment.